I invite you to take your Bibles once again and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We've been looking over the summer at some of the parables of Jesus. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the parable of the lost and found son, the older brother, and the father. So we invite you to turn to the story of what's known as the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. We'll begin at verse 11, where Luke writes, Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country And he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pots that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then his father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and to rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word. And for this privilege now of studying it together, 
And God, as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. It's interesting how we read this parable. It's a beautiful parable, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told. It's one of the most familiar. We, we grew up, many of us, hearing this story of the prodigal and the three characters of the younger son, the older son, and the father himself. And so over the last couple of weeks or so, we've been looking at this parable. And if you didn't have the chance yet to, to hear that or study with us, you can go back and, and listen to those sermons as we take a little deeper dive into the younger son, to the older son, to the father. It's also interesting to me how when we're at different phases of our lives, we place ourselves in the parables at different places. Sometimes we're the prodigal son. We're the ones who kind of turned our back on God and our families and our values and our morals. And maybe we're the ones who saw the mirage of the distant land and were tempted to go there, heard the sounds of the sirens singing and, and, and heard it and kind of found ourselves in destruction. Maybe we're the older son at times as well, where we've tried to be the good kid, and yet we find ourselves filled with resentment or jealousy, maybe even hate for another. And we have to wrestle with how God's grace is for other people and how does that impact us. Well, sometimes we're hesitant to place ourselves in the position of the Father because we know pretty well that Jesus is implying that the Father is God, and therefore we're hesitant to put ourselves in that role, but sometimes we actually are in the role of a parent-type figure. Sometimes when our kids get older and all of a sudden we realize we do not really have the power or the ability to keep them from doing something, we watch them make choices, and and we wish that we could help them. We wish that we could find them. And we have to wait and be there to help pick them up. Story is actually primarily about a father. It's interesting. We call it the story of the prodigal son. If you listen to it, it really is a story about a father with two sons. That's what Jesus said at the beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. It's a testimony to the father. We just read the story of how the younger son comes up to him and says, Father, give me the share of the inheritance that's mine. That would have been one of the most insulting things you could have said. And as we've shared, that's equivalent to saying, I wish you were dead. It was a painful thing for the father to hear. And it would have been against all traditional norms. If you read some of the writings of the day, some of the historical writings of the day, to, to give out an inheritance ahead of time was really discouraged. It wasn't a cultural norm at all. And yet, this father is willing to do it. He divides up his property and he goes ahead and gives to his son his share of the property, even though it impacted him. The cultural norm of the day would have been to have backhanded him, but instead he painfully gives over things and watches as his son sells it off and packs up his bags and leaves. 
As we study this parable today, there are so many attributes of God that I want us to focus on a little bit. And one of the beautiful things of God we see here is free will. That God actually gives us choice. That, that God, this all-powerful God, could have controlled everything, but instead he gives us choice because genuine relationships require that you have the freedom to choose one another. Edward Schweitzer, an amazing New Testament scholar, said that it's actually the father who gives both sons the possibility of separating from him. An arranged marriage does not necessarily equal arranged love. Love is a gift that someone has to voluntarily offer to you. And for us to have the relationship with God that God is desiring from us, God then had to give us free will. Free will. And the father then, as he watches what the son does with his freedom, is absolutely devastated. When his son sells off his part of the inheritance, now someone else is living on the family land. It's a painful time and the father experiences that pain. So one of the other characteristics of God that I hope you hear from this parable is the vulnerability of God. Now that sometimes bothers some people because we see this almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God and yet we see so clearly that God becomes vulnerable. But I want you to hear it's a, it's a self-choosing vulnerability. God is a, a self-limiting God. I mean, yes, God is so powerful. He could create the whole world by simply saying the word. And we watched as Jesus was on the sea and could calm the wind and the storms. So God could control us and every move that we make. But again, that's not who God wants us to be. God is a self-limiting God who's willing to become vulnerable. Because when you choose to give someone the opportunity to choose to love you, the freedom to choose to love you, you also become vulnerable because you're giving them the freedom to choose not to. And that means you open yourself up for pain. And God was willing, in order to have a genuine relationship with you and me, God was willing to open himself up to pain, to suffering, to rejection, and even to a cross. God was willing to open himself up to the suffering of a cross because of our brokenness. But it was so that we could choose to love God. Well, the younger son, he, he actually does break the heart of the father and he goes off and turns his back on his faith, on his family, on his morals, on his value, on his identity. He actually wastes it all on riotous living, we're told. And when he hit rock bottom, a famine hit the land and, and now he finds himself at a place where he is so distraught, so devastated that he takes a job feeding the pigs and would love to have eaten what the pigs were eating. 
But then he comes to himself. That's kind of the word for conviction. He remembers his father. Again, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit of conviction. And he remembers something about his father. He remembers the generosity of his father. He remembers the graciousness of his father. He remembers the character of his father. The very father that he had earlier said, I wish you were dead. Now as he looks back upon it, he is reminded that, wow, he is about to starve to death and desiring to eat what the pigs were eating. And yet he goes, my father, his hired hands, well, they have enough to eat and to spare. My father's character is one of graciousness. My father's character is, is one of generosity. So again, as we think about the characteristics we learn of God in his parable, we see this gracious, generous God. And even the son who before had despised his father is now looking back going, wow. When you compare employers... When you compare gods, there's actually no comparison. And we're told that no one would give him anything. And, and think about this. This young man actually has a job feeding the pigs, but he is making so little that he is still absolutely starving. That would never have happened at home, he realizes. My father would never have allowed that to happen. So we see the generosity, the graciousness. So he decides, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I'm going to turn. So he turns and instead of walking away from the father, he now has turned walking toward the father, which is symbolic of repentance. And he's also filled with contrition because he's practicing. He's going, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I realize I've messed up. I don't expect to live in the main house. I just, I just want to work for you. I just want to, I want to survive. One of my favorite verses, as many of you have heard me share, especially over the last couple of weeks, is that while he was still far off, the father sees him and runs to him. The father runs to him. Now, culturally, that probably doesn't mean a lot to us. But one of the things that you might read and study about is that in biblical times, it was considered undignified for an adult to run. And it was considered undignified for the head of the household to run. Others were to come to you, but for you to run, uh, Edward Schweitzer again says, a mature man loses all his dignity when he runs. N.T. Wright, the biblical scholar and Anglican bishop, says that one might even call the parable the parable of the running father. He said, in a culture where senior figures are far too dignified to run anywhere, this man takes to his heels as soon as he sees his young son dragging himself home. The father was willing to set aside his dignity for his compassion. Characteristic of your God your God is willing to set aside his dignity 
based on his compassion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You want to talk about undignified? Look at the cross. It was said that the one who hangs on a tree crucified is despised. And if you turn over to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, one of the things that you hear Paul saying is that, that, that Jesus Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather he humbles himself, takes on human form, comes to live among us, becomes obedient to death. And Paul then says, even death upon a cross. Love can make you set aside your own dignity. And you have a God. We have a God who is willing to set aside his dignity and run toward us. Because he so loves us, he runs toward us to embrace us. And another characteristic of the father you see in the scripture, he runs to him not to accuse him and not to preach to him and to condemn him, but to embrace him and to forgive him. Characteristic of your father, your God, is that of forgiveness. Schweitzer goes on to say, and forgiveness is performed and not announced. He is embraced, he is kissed, the robe comes out, the ring comes out, the sandals come out. He is forgiven and embraced and so loved. And you can be forgiven and embraced and so loved. George Buttrick, another great preacher and theologian, scholar, said that who is the father in this story? He's the picture of God. The most winsome picture ever drawn on earth. He said, this parable is the heart of the gospel. God is eager to forgive utterly and to restore. And then he goes on to say, for there is no forgiveness except utter forgiveness. And God embraces he embraced his son before his son even had a chance to say, but father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You have a God who runs to you with forgiveness, with forgiveness. But there's another son. When we hear the story as the son comes back, the party celebrates the, and the dancing occurs, the music occurs. But the older son comes back out of the field. He hears the commotion that's going on, wonders what's happening, asks the other servant, what in the world is going on? Ah, oh, your brother's back. Your father's killed the fatted calf. He is so excited, so filled with all of this joy and love and compassion and all these things. He's got his son back, killed the fatted calf. We're having a party. Come to the party. The son refuses to go in. Here's something else about your God that you'd see in the scripture. And that is that the father is unable to fully enjoy the banquet knowing that he has another son who's still outside. Did you catch that? Your father is unable to fully enjoy the banquet when he knows he has another son who's still 
outside. Fred Craddock, the biblical scholar and preacher, put it this way. He said, the father not only had two sons, he loved two sons. He went out to two sons and was generous to two sons. Another thing you see about the father, when he comes out, he comes out with outstretched arms. That's one of the most beautiful images I think that we see here when he goes to the younger son and runs to him to embrace him. It's with outstretched arms. When he goes out to the other brother, he's, he's got those outstretched arms. Henry Nowen, a great biblical scholar and one who taught so much on spirituality, he puts it this way. He said, now here's the God I want to believe in. A father who, from the beginning of creation, has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting. Listen to the beauty of this. Never letting his arms drop in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. His only desire is to bless. And finally, one of the beautiful attributes that we see in the scripture is that of joy. You have a God who desires joy, joy for you, joy for all the family, the older brother, all the family, and joy for himself. And he tells these three parables, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the found son, the older brother. Listen to what he says. In verse 7, for example, with the lost sheep, he said, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. With the coin in verse 10, he said, Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And with the younger son, verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And finally, verse 32, when he's talking to the older son, he said, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. I love this parable. And we could spend so much more time than we have just over the last three Sundays as we've shared this together. But listen to what kind of God you have. Listen to the beautiful images of the Father. One who desires a genuine relationship with you to the point he would give you free will. He would give you choice. And that means, secondly, that he's willing to become vulnerable. Because if we choose God, it brings joy. And if we reject him, it hurts and causes pain and suffering. And you have a God 
who is so gracious and so generous that even my father's hired hands have enough and to spare. You have a God who chooses compassion over dignity and is willing to run wide open to you. You have a God who offers you forgiveness, utter forgiveness. Bring out the robe, the best one. That would be my robe, the father says. The ring, the sandals, kill the fatted calf. You have a God who comes to you with outstretched arms. And on the cross, he had outstretched arms for you and for me. And filled with joy, you have a God who wants you to be filled with joy and to share that joy together. But once again, this is an open-ended story. You and I get to write how it ends. God is there with the compassion and outstretched arms. His dream is for us to fall into them and to experience the embrace. I invite you, whether you're the younger son, the older son, a little bit of both, to fall into the arms of a God who can't wait to hold you, forgive you, and share his joy with you. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful again for your love and grace. Grace, it's who you are as our God. And God, we are so grateful that you shared this amazing parable with us. And we could spend so much more time just trying to discern the richness of who you are as our God. But God, what we see with this Father, what we see in you, is nothing short of amazing grace. And God, we are so grateful that you are filled with compassion and love and outstretched arms of forgiveness that you invite us to the embrace. And God, I pray that everyone right now who is joining us for worship will fill your embrace, submit to your embrace, Come to your loving arms to fall into your arms and your joy in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.